0: You know, for the past three weeks, we've been in a series called Alive, uh, embracing the resurrection life right now. And the first three weeks of this series, we kind of looked at uh, each day in the resurrection story. And so, you know, you'll remember three weeks ago, I was up here and we talked about the Friday, the day that Christ died and the weight of the cross and the significance of that in our story. And two weeks ago, Dave got up and he talked about the Saturday, the day that Jesus was dead, I mean, a lifeless body in a tomb. And kind of those moments in life that feel as though they are hopeless. We know there's been a promise, but man, we're waiting for that promise and it just feels dark and how God is right there with us in the midst of it. And then of course, last week on Easter Sunday, what a fun Sunday. I hope you guys had an incredible time when you were with us. Um, You know, last Sunday, we, we looked at resurrection. This moment where the lifeless body of Jesus was infused with life and he came back to life. And you remember that Dave kind of took us historically and just said, hey, almost every historian will agree that something happened. On the third day, something happened. On the third day after Jesus died, and we believe that something that happened is the resurrection of Jesus, like Him coming back to life. And here's what's amazing: is if you look across history, um, the resurrection of Jesus is this amazing moment where, if humanity and the world is like a gigantic pond, the resurrection of Jesus, is like somebody took a gigantic rock and just chucked it out into the middle, and it created this ripple effect, where these ripples just started spreading across history. And and what you watch, as you watch over the last 2,000 years since the resurrection of Jesus, you begin to see that as those ripples of the resurrection begin to wash over the human soul, something significant happens within us. That when you encounter the risen Lord Jesus, you don't stay the same. That something happens in you. And we started watching this, you know, I mean, you see this happening 2,000 years ago. You read the book of Acts. It's the, the story that unfolds right after Jesus was resurrected. And you see story after story of people who are just changed, people who were cowards before they encounter resurrected Jesus, and suddenly they're filled with courage. People that were hiding their faith in secret suddenly encounter the risen Jesus, and now they're proclaiming their faith with boldness. People who've been living selfishly only for themselves suddenly start dying to themselves and living for the sake of others. It's like this radical shift starts happening in the hearts of those who are overcome by the ripple of the resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago. Like, it's still happening today. Like, every day, people encounter the risen Jesus, and it does something in their heart. You know, this, this week... This week, I, I get a phone call from someone who this person was just in a tough spot and I didn't have any words. And I said, hey, let's just talk to Jesus about it. And I don't know how to explain what happened, but somehow in, in 30 minutes of prayer, this person encountered the risen Jesus Christ. And, and it was amazing. I, you know, I, I prayed with them. I didn't say a whole lot. We just asked Jesus to speak. And I get a text from this person the next day and they said, they said hey, the last 24 hours, I've experienced the presence of Jesus in a way that I never have in my entire life. They said, he has been so close that he has been closer than the blood in my veins. (laughs) It's like, wow. But here's what was so cool. It wasn't just this spiritual feeling of feeling like maybe there's a a spiritual God close to me. No, when he called me, this person was just racked with fear about some things in their life. And the next day when they texted me, they said, the fear is gone. I've just been living in peace. You see, this is what happens. When you encounter the risen Jesus, the ripples of his resurrection just start to wash over your soul and you begin to experience change inside that is inexplicable. It's amazing. It's miraculous. And so, you know, uh, over the next few weeks, what we want to do is start looking at, hey, what does it mean for us to get caught up in the movement of Christ's resurrection as we try to step into that life with one another? And you know, every year, we try to make this extremely practical. We say, hey, let's celebrate resurrection, then let's figure out how to step into resurrection. So today, we're going to be talking specifically about how encountering the risen Lord begins to change the way that we understand his commands, his teachings, and his ways. And we're going to look at one particular teaching of Jesus and how, when we encounter the risen Lord, it changes the way we understand that teaching. This teaching is like a thread that goes through all of Jesus' ministry. I mean, it's like all the way through, you start following what Jesus says, and sometimes he says it this way. Sometimes he says, hey, listen, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Sometimes he says, hey, I want, I want you to know there's this new command that if you love someone, you'll be willing to lay down your life for them. Sometimes he says, hey, I want you to do to others as they would do to you. And other times he says, hey, listen, uh, people will know that you're my followers by the way you love one another. But what Jesus is getting at across the whole course of his ministry, he goes, listen, when you step into life with me, Something changes in the way that you interact with the people around you and the way that you perceive them. And so there's this command that Jesus says, I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And so today, we wanna to talk about how we do that. Now, in the past, the way we've done this at Ethos is we have, uh, we've done some radical things, right? We, we've canceled our Sunday gatherings the week after Easter, and we go out and we serve our city in big ways. We have big service events all over the city. If you've been a part of that, it's amazing. Like, it's so fun, and we get to put the love of Jesus on display. But we keep going, how do we keep bringing this idea of loving our neighbor down to the ground until it feels so practical that no longer is it an event that we step into, but it's just a way of living that we just kind of breathe in, we walk in, it. it's just part of who we are. And so I want today, I hope that today feels like the most insanely practical Teaching that you've ever heard. I hope today feels like the most practical Sunday sermon that you've ever listened to. I know that's kind of a high goal for me to try to set for myself, but hey, I'm I'm up for it. Let's try it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about what does it mean for you to love your neighbor. Now, I just want to this little disclaimer before we even start talking about this, is that this conversation is not always easy. Uh, You know, I, I think about a time I was a church planter in Canada before I lived in Nashville. And I remember it was just me and my wife and two other couples, and we were like, hey, we want to find a way to love our neighbors. And so we decided that that before Easter, we were going to host a spring kickoff party. And so we're like, hey, we'll go to a park, we'll we'll get a grill, we'll cook out some hot dogs, and we'll just like hand out food to the people that are walking by to show them that we love them, you know? And we thought we had this killer idea. We handed out flyers in the neighborhood for it. Man, we get out there, and uh, let me just remind you, you know how cold outside of this today in Nashville, Tennessee? So we were in Canada, like if you think this is cold, we tried to throw a spring kickoff event in the very beginning of April in Canada, and we're like cooking hot dogs, we're all got our parkas on, there's nobody in the park, like nobody's coming by, and it felt like this epic fail where we tried to love our neighbors well, but man, we just missed the mark. And so today's lesson, it is not about success. It's not about always making it work. It's not always about doing everything right. Today is practically about how does loving our neighbor move from being an event that we plan to just the life that we live? That's what I want to move us towards this morning. So before we get into that, though, I want to look at what Jesus actually says about loving our neighbor, because he's going to give us kind of a key paradigm for us to think through. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 10, uh, starting reading verse 25. It's a story many of you may have heard many times. Um, we'll, We'll read through it together. Luke 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I, I could stop right here because I, I love just this question that he asked. This could be a whole another sermon, but this just shows the change that happens when you encounter the resurrected Lord. You see, pre-resurrection, the way we think is, Jesus, what do I have to do to earn the life that you're trying to give me? In post-resurrection, the the question changes completely or the answer changes. Jesus says, listen, you're not gonna earn anything. I'm gonna go before you and then I'm gonna offer a free gift of eternal life that I have attained through my resurrection. It's no longer something that we try to gain, but that's another sermon for another time. Sorry about that. Let's keep going. Verse 26, Jesus says, what is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But this man wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, and he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, and Jesus said, go and do likewise. These are the words of Jesus out of Luke chapter 10. Now, we could could do a lot with this story. We could really deep dive into it and understand. We don't have time for that today, but I will tell you, if if you've never heard this story, if you want to know more about it, I know we we taught on this just two years ago. It was May of 2016. You can go find that on our website if you want to listen to an in-depth study of this story. I want to give you just a couple quick takeaways from this story that will help us in our conversation today. The first one is this, is you need to understand that a Samaritan, if you're not familiar with the the biblical context of the story, a Samaritan was a person from the region of Samaria. And so the the people from Samaria, the Samaritans, uh, were not really respected by the first century Jews. In fact, the the first century Jewish people, who everybody else in the story is, they kind of looked with disgust on the Samaritans. Uh, There was racial tension there, there was geographical tension and historical tension. And so the first century Jews just kind of thought the Samaritans were the lowest of the low. And so Jesus tells this story where he makes the most unexpected person to be the hero in the story. And I think what he's trying to do, is just trying to say, hey, listen, sometimes it's the person that you least expect that ends up being your neighbor. Sometimes it's the person you least expect. But specifically, I love what Jesus does. He kind of gives us two handles to understand who is our neighbor, because this is the question he's trying to answer, right? The guy asks, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story. And I think there's two things Jesus is saying. He's saying, listen, one... Your neighbor is often just the person that is in your path. The person that's in your path, the person right there in front of you. Sometimes that's your neighbor. But Jesus kind of flips it around too. He asks, who is the neighbor to the man that was beaten? And the guy says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus says, that's right. And so what Jesus is saying is, listen, sometimes it's the person in your path and sometimes it's the person that has shown you mercy. I love this because what Jesus is, is saying here right now, he's going, hey, listen, all of us, our neighbors, and all of us have been neighbors. Sometimes you're the person in the path that needs to receive mercy, and sometimes you're the person that needs to extend mercy to the person that's before you. But all of us have been a neighbor. All of us have been on the receiving end and the giving end, and being a good neighbor or loving your neighbor is not this thing where we get to come to somebody with haughty expectations as though we have something to offer, but it's just this place where we understand we all have something to offer one another. And there's a time where you're on the path, and there's a time where you're extending mercy. But this is what it means to be a neighbor. Sometimes it's someone in your path, and sometimes it's the person who has shown you mercy. But I love what Jesus does when he gets to the end of the story. The guy answers correctly. He says, The neighbor was the one who showed mercy. And Jesus' instructions are so simple. He just looks at the guy and he says, hey, I want you to go and do likewise. You know, this is the invitation in walking with Jesus. Jesus is saying to his followers, he's kind of looking at him saying, listen, if you want to live in to the identity that I've already freely given you, then you've got to go and do likewise. You know, do we understand the identity that Jesus has offered us as his followers I love some of the ways that Jesus describes the people who are following him. In Matthew chapter 5, he looks out at his followers. He says, Hey, you are the salt of the earth. You bring flavor to the world and you preserve the world. He says, You are the light of the world. You are the ones who are going to hold high the light of, of God our Father so that the world may glorify him. You are the salt, you are the light. The Apostle Paul uses this amazing word to describe who we are as followers of Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, you are the aroma of Christ. So listen, everywhere you go, people get the scent of who Jesus is and what he's like. It's so beautiful. But what Jesus says here is, listen, if you want to live into the identity that I've freely given you, you have to go and do likewise. You are to love your neighbor. Now, here's the thing that that we know this. I mean, this is like Christianity 101, right? Two greatest commands, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then that begins to fill you up so that you are able to go and love your neighbor as yourself. But did we know that loving your neighbor, it is one of the key practices of being a follower of Jesus? It is a spiritual discipline to love your neighbor. You come to church on a Sunday morning, and you kind of expect to hear the preacher or the pastor say, hey, go, if you want to grow to be more like Jesus, go read your Bible and go spend some time praying, both of which are really important spiritual disciplines. But did we know that the act of loving our neighbor is also a practice? It's a spiritual practice and a spiritual discipline, and I believe it is unbelievably practical. And so we're gonna try to bring it all the way to the ground to help understand how practical it is for us to try to embrace our identity as followers of the risen Lord and step into this practice of loving our neighbor. But before we get to that, we gotta name a couple tensions that all of us are probably gonna feel. The first tension is this. Uh, We're gonna ask this question, okay, I know I need to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? And we're gonna be a lot like the guy in the story. Now, the guy in the story was doing that to try to justify himself. And some of us may ask the question from that posture. Like, hey, who's my neighbor? Um, can I, am I already justified in the amount of love that I'm showing the people around me? I think that's kind of where this guy was coming from. But some of us aren't asking it from that posture at all. Some of us are going, hey, I, who's my neighbor? Like, I don't know where to start. Like, where do I begin if it's every person in my path? Does that mean everywhere that I go, I've got to be doing like a good deed? Like every time I see somebody, where do I, where do I begin? Is this, a, is this a service project that I have to plan or another event that I have to fit in my already busy life? Like, where do I begin with this spiritual practice of loving my neighbor? And I think Jesus will answer this question for us. He says, hey, your neighbor is the one who's in your path or the one who has shown you mercy, and we're going to try to bring that really practically before you so you can figure out what it looks like to start walking in it. And that's kind of what this book is going to do for us. And we'll get there in just a minute. But there's one other tension we got to deal with. It's just that, that tension of whenever you start talking about loving your neighbor or meeting your neighbor, there's just fear kind of starts to come up in us, right? And all of us have different fears. So for some people, it's, as you think about that, it's the fear of rejection, You think, man, what if I go and I show kindness and I introduce myself and I'm kind and I do something and they want nothing to do with me? And there's this fear of being pushed away even though I've tried. That's one fear. Some people, the fear is the total opposite. Sometimes it's the fear of, man, if I'm kind to them, like they're gonna want a relationship with me. And like, I just, my life is busy. I've already got so many, like I just got stuff going on all the time. I don't know how I'm gonna fit one more person that might need something from me. I don't know that I have the availability to walk with another person in my life. And so there's this fear of the demand of another friend in your life. And for some of us, it's just the fear of the awkwardness. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had one of those awkward moments where you try to do something kind and you're just met with like a blank stare? Like, what are you doing? Or people just look at you like you're crazy. You know, there's just this, this fear of the awkward moment. And here's, here's one of the things that's amazing to me. I heard, I heard this study. Uh, it was on a podcast uh, called The Hidden Brain that NPR has. And um, they, were, they were talking about this phenomenon that happens on public transit systems. That every day across the United States on trains and buses and metropolitan areas, people stand shoulder to shoulder and they look straight ahead and they say not a word to each other. And it's like there's this fear of, of broaching this like this closeness with a person, of ha- making a conversation with them. And so they started doing surveys and they asked people, hey, do you talk to people on the train? And the majority said, no, never, I would never do that. And they're like, well, why don't you do that? And they're like, well, most people had this perception that if they tried to make conversation with the person next to them, it would make their already hectic day feel more stressful and more busy. And so the fear kept them right here. And so they did this little social experiment. They divided people into two groups. And they said, hey, I want you people on this group over here, today your assignment on the train, regardless of how you feel, is to push past and make some sort of conversation with the person sitting next to you. And they said, this group over here, your assignment is don't do anything. Just don't say a word. Just ignore Get on your phone. Do whatever you normally do. Just ignore the people around you. So they went through this day with the experiment and then they polled all of these people and the results were unbelievable. It was consistent that in, in, in both, in every single poll, in every single survey, the people who made conversation reported that their day felt brighter, that they felt more fulfilled and more hopeful at the end of their day after having even just a one-minute conversation on a train. Whereas the people on the other side said that they felt lonely, they felt empty, they felt, you know, there was nothing that was fulfilled when they just ignored everyone around them. And it didn't matter if they were extroverted or introverted. The people who tried to make conversation had a better day, by and large, than the people who did not. But, you know, this is, this is hard for us. It is scary. I mean, I think about, you know, my own life. I've had many moments where the fear kind of paralyzes me. Uh, you know, I don't know how many of you know my wife, but she's one of the kindest people I know. In fact, she's one of those people that every person she sees is like an opportunity to show kindness, it's like really annoying, you know? I mean, she just wants, she wants to be nice to everybody and wants to find, help me be nice to everyone. And you know, it, it's not uncommon when we move into a new place or we have a new neighbor that moves in, my wife will be looking out the window and she'll be like, hey, Aaron, uh, you know, so-and-so is outside in his garage, you should go talk to him. And I'm like, Ugh, I'm you know, it's really, really getting into washing these dishes for you. I'm really busy. I don't know. And really, what's happening is there's like this fear that's rising up in me because I'm like, man, I live next to that guy. If I go talk to him, like every time he sees me, he's gonna want to talk now. You know, like I don't. If I make conversation now, I got to make it every single day, and it just feels like this this fear. I get paralyzed in the moment. The fear of what if? What what if this happens? But I want to tell you what happens is that, that, that when when I when I manage to comply. And I listen to my wife's advice and I go. There's never been one time where I've complied with her that I've regretted it. That I go and something happens. Something happens in my own heart that when I begin to initiate kindness and love for another person, something begins to change in me. I think I'm doing it for them. (laughs) And something starts to change in my heart You see, this is why it's so important because what God is after is your heart and my heart. He doesn't need you to check off a to-do list. He wants your heart. And Jesus knows that your heart will be healthier and more whole if you will live into his ways of loving your neighbor and laying down your life for those around you. And so it's this invitation to step in and fully give our heart to Jesus. So when you feel that fear, just name it. Just say, yeah, I'm kind of intimidated by that or I'm a little hesitant to do that. And then give it to Jesus. Jesus, will you help me to step into this? And he'll do it. He'll do it. He'll give you what you need to step into it. So let's get really practical. Let's talk about how we begin to do this, okay? Um, So uh, I've given you this book that is on your seat. Everybody should have one of these. If you don't have one of these, get up and get it. I'm gonna ask you, don't open it yet. Some of you are already reading it ahead and you're mad at me right now. Don't, just don't open it. I'm going to set you loose and give you some time to kind of work through this book. I want to talk you through what it is and how it works. So my goal, I, you know, as a team at, here at Ethos, we wanted to create a practical way to start practicing Jesus' ways in regards to loving your neighbor. And so the goal for today is that every single person would be able to name their next step in practicing this discipline, practicing this way of loving neighbor's. Again, it doesn't matter where you are on your spiritual journey. Some of you may have been following Jesus for years, and this may feel like just second nature to you. It's just the way that you function. There's still a next step. The next step is going, okay, Jesus, who's next? Who are you putting in my past today? Or who is someone that's been kind to me that I need to show gratitude to? So that could be your next step. You might be a follower of Jesus, and this has been like the scariest part of your faith. The idea of trying to show love and kindness to somebody you don't know, or maybe somebody you do know, just feels intimidating. And so your next step uh, might just be reading through this book and asking Jesus to put some names and to give you the courage. You know, everyone has a next step. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You know, and I, I think if you're not a follower of Jesus, this, this book, this is a way for you to begin to test drive the ways of Jesus. Give this a shot. See if trying out the ways of Jesus does not begin to change some things in your heart and your posture towards other people. And so today the goal is for all of us to identify what is my next step? And so I'm gonna walk you through the book for a little bit and kind of tell you how it's set up. So if we can get the first slide up on the screen here. Um, when, you, when you find that book, uh, you'll pick it up and on the front, right now, I want everybody to do this. You should have a pen either on your seat or somewhere around or you can share it with somebody. I want you to go ahead and just write your name on the front of this book. This is yours. This is yours to take with you, okay? So write your name on it right now, go ahead and claim it as your own, and then if I find it afterwards, I, I get to find you and give it to you, you know, I'll return it to you. So you can Go ahead and write your, write your name on it, make this your own, and I'll kind of walk you through how the book is set up. So when, once I set you loose to start working through it, I'm going to give you some time this morning to do that. Um, you'll find the very first page says, start here, super practical. I mean, it doesn't get any more practical. Tells you the right where to start. Start here, and on that first page, uh, it's going to kind of walk you through just a reminder of why we're doing this. But it's also going to give you a reminder that anything like this that we do always begins with God. So there's this reminder to just come to God with prayer and to ask Him to be the one leading you through this process. And so that's going to be on the first page that you come to when you open it. Um, and when you flip that page, you're going to see another page that looks something like this. We get the other slide up here. You'll see this image that has you at the kind of the middle. And then has all these people around you. And the question that you're beginning to answer is, hey, who is your neighbor? And so, you know, we look to Jesus for the answer to that question. Who is my neighbor? Well, Jesus says it's the person in your path. It's the person who has shown you mercy. And so what we've done is try to break, break our lives down into kind of three spheres. Because not all of us uh, will always be called to do this the same way. And so we've, we've broken it down into three spheres. Where you live, where you work or go to school, and then where you play. So where you live, where you work or go to school, and where you play. And so there's some questions that are on this page. It kind of says, hey, who lives near you? Hey, who, who do you interact with at work or school? Who do you see when you play? And when you answer these questions, here's what I want you to do. Remember, really practical. I want you to imagine yourself. Let's just take the question, who lives near you? Imagine yourself at your house or in your apartment and go to your front door and open the front door and just look and go, man, who lives behind that door right across the hall? Who lives two doors down this way, one door down this way, two doors here, one door here. Or if you live in a house, you know, look out your front door and go, do I know the people that live there? Do I know the people that live there? Do I know who lives on either side? Or you look out your back door, do I know the people that live in the house behind me? You're just asking, do I know who my neighbors are? And do the same thing for where you work, where you go to school. And if you don't know their names, that's okay. You've kind of discovered possibly your first step. Like the first step in loving your neighbor is to know your neighbor. So maybe your first step is just to go meet them. Uh, but you know, if you don't know their name, you can just write a descriptor down. You can be like, uh, who lives next door? It's that weird old guy that always does weird things. You know, you write, down, write, write that down. Or it's, uh, it's that, that young couple that always throws parties late at night. Or that's that sweet family that always waves at me when I drive by. You know, whatever descriptor you wanna give them to help you remember who they are, you can write that down in the book. Now, at the bottom of that page, you're gonna see a thing that says, choose your neighbor. And so your next step, like for this week, sometimes it's just, just say, God, where do I start? Where do I begin? I can't do this with every single person always in my life, so where do I start? And so that part of the book functions a little bit like one of those choose-your-own-adventure books. I don't know if you ever read those when you were a kid, you know, where you read up to this really suspenseful moment and it gives you a choice. Do you want to go into the cave or do you want to go around the cave? And I'm like, go to the cave, page 30, you know, and you turn there. So if you want to choose a neighbor that lives near you, then you would go to page seven. If you want to choose somebody who works near you, it gives you another page number and you'll flip over there. And what you'll find when you flip to those pages is like a communal inventory or a community inventory. We've got a picture of one of those pages here. And what those pages contain are just some questions, some different ways to begin thinking about the people that live around you. These questions are not perfect and some of them may not apply to you. And if they don't apply, just skip over them. Um, but uh, we love you to just read through those questions and see what Christ starts to turn up in your heart about the people around you and the opportunities that might be there to be a good neighbor. And here's what we love from you as you work on this. You may, you will probably think of ideas that we left out. And so you got plenty of space to write down your own ideas. And uh, we're actually gonna have a, a, a website up. The URL is on the back of the book and on the back page of the book, youethoschurchorg loveyourneighbor. We want to hear your ideas How is this going? Share your stories of what it's looked like for you to intentionally step into loving your neighbor. Share with us the ideas that you've had. And please hear me really clearly on this. We are not asking you to go organize a block party. I mean, you may wanna do that. If you wanna do that, that's great. But we're not talking about an event. We're talking about what it looks like for all of us just to fully embrace the way of life where as we go, we are loving those in our path and we're loving those that show us mercy. This is the invitation. And so here, here's what I'd like to do. I wanna, um, I wanna give you opportunity right now, like give you eight minutes or so, just to start working on this. If you're here with somebody you live with, if you're here with your spouse and you wanna work on it with them, that's great. If it's a roommate, you wanna work with them or maybe a group of people that you know, live around you on the same hall as you, whatever you wanna do, you can do that with them or you can do it alone, however you prefer to do that. But I'm gonna give you some time right now, uh, really practically, to begin working through this book and then I'll kind of give you some further instructions beyond that. Okay, was that, was that the most practical sermon you've ever heard? It was pretty, pretty practical? Okay, you don't have to answer that. It's cool. Don't worry about it. So Here's what I'm going to have you do. I'm going to go get that book. We're going to turn some music on. You start working. Get with people you need to, and I'll give you some more instructions here in just a few minutes. Go for it. All right, here's, here's what I want to invite us in to do uh, right now. You know, every week when we gather, uh, we come around uh, the communion table, and we, we get the bread, and we get the cup, and it's this reminder of, of Christ's presence with us, that He is here. He's with us. And, and so, you know, anytime you step into walking in the ways of Jesus, it's important to remember that He's the one going with you, that He's the one making it possible, making it doable. And so I'm going to send you to the communion tables, and I want you to do is get the cup, get the bread, come back together with the people that you've been talking to, And maybe just name two things. One, is there any fear that's starting to kind of pop up in you as you think about doing this? And just name it with them and ask them to pray with you. Just give it to Jesus. And then the second question, so the first one is, is is there any fear? And the second question is this, what is your next step? What are you going to do next? Is it go home and finish the book? Is it go meet one of your neighbors and learn their names? You know, what is your next step in beginning to practice the way of Jesus in regards to loving your neighbor? And then just take communion with one another and pray for one another. If, if you would like prayer this morning, if this idea of encountering the resurrected Lord is unfamiliar or new and you want to be prayed with, we'll have men and women at the respond banner. We'd love to pray with you after we're done here. So let me pray for us and I'll send us to communion. Lord, thank you so much. Uh, thank you for the way of life that you ushered in um, and the way that you conquered death and you invite us in. Thank you for giving us your spirit. Lord, we invite you now as we come to the table of grace, would you remind us of your nearness Remind us of the gift of your presence in our lives. And Lord, would you inspire us and lead us in your spirit as we attempt to leave this place and embody your love to the people around us. And love you, Father. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and give thanks. Amen.